last day of 2017. Here we are. Uh, next time we see each other will be 2018. Whole new year, whole new world. Who knows what will happen? Uh, let's pray together and we'll jump into John chapter 1 this morning. God, thank you for another Sunday. Thank you for another opportunity to gather. God, thank you for the group of people in this room and the opportunity to share life together, to sing praises to you, to open this ancient book and explore once again what you are saying to us through these words, through your spirit. God, lead and guide us this morning. Prepare our hearts uh, as we look forward to partaking of the bread and the cup and allow us to know you more deeply than ever before. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. All right, we're uh, almost half a year through this first year of three years with Jesus. Uh, before Advent, we started uh, one of the mini-series called Following Jesus. We're looking at uh, different scenes in the gospel stories where disciples follow Jesus. And so we're looping back to that this week and next week. We're going to wrap up that mini-series, Following Jesus. And we're in John chapter 1 this morning. And the text uh, for this morning started in verse 43. But I want to start in verse 35 and, and look at both of these uh, little sections of scripture about disciples following Jesus, because the way they begin to follow Jesus uh, is different beginning in verse 35 and in verse 43. So I'm going to start in verse 35. It says, the next day John was there again with two of his disciples. Now, earlier in the Gospel of John, we are introduced to this man named John, different John than the guy who wrote the book we're reading. Uh, there is the disciple John who wrote this book, and then there is a, a guy who later became known as John the Baptist. And it's John the Baptist that we're introduced to early on in John chapter 1. And he is baptizing people in the Jordan River. And uh, he has followers. He's like a rabbi. And so he has uh, people who are following him, listening to his teachings, uh, wanting to become like him and, and follow the ways he's teaching. And uh, John has been saying, there, there's one coming after me who's greater than me. Uh, some people came to him and said, are you the one we were to expect? Are you the Messiah? And, and John said, no, I'm not. I'm just preparing the way for the Messiah. There's one coming after me who's greater than I am. And I'm not even worthy to untie his shoes. I'm not worthy to, to take off his sandals. And so this John is with two of his disciples. Verse 36, when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. And so the one that he's been saying is coming, he sees Jesus and he says, there he is. That's the one. The one I've said is coming, that's him. The Messiah, that's him. It's Jesus. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So, John has followers, and two of them hear, Jesus, uh, hear John say, this guy is the Lamb of God, he's the Messiah, and when they hear him say that, they leave John, and they start following Jesus. Uh, 
I admire John the Baptist because John the Baptist is a person who's always deflecting glory. When people look to John the Baptist and say, are you the one? He says, no. There's one coming after me who's greater than I. Uh, when people follow John and say, we want to follow you, we want to follow your teachings, and then John says, look, there he is. That's the Lamb of God. These two disciples leave John, and they start following Jesus, and John's okay with it. He's not looking to build his followers. He's not looking to have a huge entourage of people following him because he's always pointing to Jesus. John is not about getting a better position, more power, more influence, more fame. He's always pointing to Jesus. And everything John does is about pointing away from himself and to Jesus. I think we can learn a lot from John in what it looks like for us to point away from ourselves and to Jesus. To not be looking to gain a better position for ourselves, more fame for ourselves, more power for ourselves, but whatever position or power we have, to use it always to give away and point to Jesus. And this is what John does. And these two follow Jesus. In verse 38, turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Now imagine you're these two disciples. I, I love this story because uh, we, we have other stories uh, about Jesus seeing disciples, and we'll get to one, uh, where they, Jesus sees the disciples and Jesus says, follow me. But these two are following John, and then John says, look, the Lamb of God, and they leave John, and they start following Jesus, and Jesus turns around, and he's like, what do you want? Why are you following me? What do you want? Uh, but there's something much deeper in this question than just saying, what do you want? Uh, there, there's, I, I'm sure uh, it would be amazing to have been there and heard the tone with which Jesus asked this question, right? Uh, because there can be a kind of irritating, what do you want? Uh, like in my not best moments when I say to one of my kids, what do you want? What do you want? Uh, or there can be this heartfelt question. What do you want? What, what are you looking for? And that's the sense I feel like Jesus asked this question with. What, what are you looking for? What, why is it you're following me? What, what do you want? What do you long for? What, what is your deep heart's desire? Why is it that you began to follow me? What is it you really want? I believe this is the way Jesus asked this question. What do you want? Uh, these are the first words that come out of Jesus' mouth in John's gospel. And I think that's uh, something for us to pay attention to. The very first words that John chose to record Jesus saying were a question. 
what do you want? A, a question to people following him. What do you want? Uh, for many of us this morning, we, we want to be a people who follow Jesus. Uh, this question Jesus posed 2,000 years ago is the same question I think Jesus poses today. What do you want? What do you long for? What is your deep heart's desire? I think if we can get to the root of that question, uh, we can discover more fully what we were designed for. We can discover more fully what we were created for. We can discover more fully what our contribution to the world can and should be. When we get to the root of what do you want, I think we begin to come alive and wake up to that which God created us for. Because there is something so much more. I mean, the world all around us will answer the question, what do you want, won't it? The, the world will constantly answer the question for us. That I, there, The whole world of marketing exists to answer that question for you. Any little commercial you see, any little uh, pop-up you see, it's designed to answer that question. For, we know what you want. You want new clothes. You want to be thinner. You want a newer car. You want a bigger house. You want a bigger salary. You want uh, a, a better position. Uh, the, the world will answer these questions for you of what we want. But there is something much, much deeper than the answers the world of marketing has for us. Because all these things that tap into our desires, uh, have something at their root that God has planted in our souls from the beginning of time. When, when we see things in the world and we're like, oh, I want that. And, and when we recognize that often it, it, it's a bent or broken desire, if we can get at the root of that desire, we discover, oh, there's something really good there. There is something really beautiful at the root of that. Because what our deepest longings point to will always allow us to discover more fully who we are and who God created us to be. Uh, at Bay Marin, we have uh, what we call our vision and our values. And our four values uh, are just A, B, C, D, abide, belong, create, and demonstrate. And I think these are some of the deepest things we long for. We, we long to abide. We long to experience oneness and union with God. And we long to experience oneness and union with others. We, we, we long to belong. We long to be a part of something bigger than ourselves. And we long to have purpose. We long to create things and demonstrate through uh, our actions ways to make the world a better place, ways to bring more hope into a broken world. And I think at the deepest level, if we can get down to the deepest level of answering that question, what do you want, we will discover all this beauty and richness that God has placed and planted within our souls from the beginning of time. This is the question Jesus asks, what do 
you want. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Uh, <laughs> this just is funny to me. I don't know if it's funny to you, but Jesus is asking them this question to tap into their deepest soul longings, and they, their, their response is, so where, where are you staying? Because frankly, we've been out in the desert with this guy, John, and he only lets us eat, eat locusts and wild honey, and it's just no good. It's no fun. So what are your accommodations like? Because that'll kind of help us answer what we want. Uh, what we want are better accommodations. Uh, what they're soon to discover is Jesus doesn't have a home. Uh, he kind of just wanders from home to home and sleeps out under the Mount of Olives and, and whatnot. Uh, where are you staying? Where are you staying? This is their response. So they went and saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Now, John uses a, a word in his gospel 34 times. And it, it's a word that's translated in, in some translations, abide. Uh, it, it's translated in other translations, remain. Uh, it's translated different ways. It's uh, the word that John the Baptist said in verse 33. He says, the man on whom you see the Spirit come down and remain is the one who will baptize with the Holy Spirit. Uh, it's the same word that the disciples say, where are you staying? Where are you abiding? Where are you remaining? It's the same word. So they went and saw where he was abiding, where he was remaining, and they spent that day with him. It's not in uh, the translation I have, but the word is there again. They, they abided with him for the day. It's the same word that John will later, later use uh, as Jesus speaks in Matthew, uh, John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain or abide or stay in me, and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Uh, this is a key word all through the gospel narrative for John, this idea of abiding, of remaining, of staying in Jesus, and Jesus in us. Uh, there, there's a whole nother layer to the question, what do you want? And I think there is a whole other layer to the disciples' response, where are you staying? Where are you abiding? Uh, and then they went and abode with him for the rest of the day. They stayed with him. What, what would it have been like to sit with them for that afternoon and to hear what they were saying. Uh, the questions they may have asked Jesus, the questions Jesus may have asked them. Uh, what was that experience like? They got to know this Jesus, this Lamb of God, who they were following, who they were staying with. Um, Hey, Greg, can I have you just move slightly so I can see that clock? Thanks. Um, so they abode with him for the rest of the day. They remained 
with him, this Jesus. The text continues, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. So whatever happened with them in that afternoon when they stayed together for the afternoon and got to know Jesus. First, it's John the Baptist pointing to Jesus and saying, Behold, the Lamb of God. This is the one who will take away the sins of the world. This is the one who will bring healing to the brokenness we all are experiencing. Uh, they heard John the Baptist say it, and then they remain with Jesus for the day, and something within them is like, yes, yes, this is the one. We found him. This is the Messiah. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, you are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which translated is Peter. So who is this guy who, uh, when people start following him, he turns around and says, what do you want? Uh, they hang out with him, and then uh, another disciple comes along, and he says, you're, uh, you're Cephas, son of John. You'll be called Peter. Like, he just changes his name. Just like, what? what? You used to be called this. I'm going to call you this. And so now Peter, uh, Cephas, uh, Peter translated means rock. So now Peter gets to walk around to his friends and say, yeah, I'm rock. I'm... That's the name Jesus gave me, rock. I'm rocky. What's your name? Oh, you're still Andrew? Eh, I'm rock. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. So this is interesting to me, that uh, some begin to follow Jesus, and Jesus says, what do you want? Like, let's, let's tap into your deepest longings, your core desires. What is it you want? Other people, Jesus is walking along, and he sees them, and he says, follow me. Come along. Uh, we've talked about this in other texts where Jesus sees or looks. So we see uh, with Peter, he, he looked at Peter and said, you are Simon, son of John, you'll be called uh, Cephas. With uh, Philip, it's he sees him and says, follow me. Uh, Jesus has this deep intuition, this amazing capacity to look at people uh, and know them. And this, this shouldn't frighten us one bit. It, it's not like... Uh, God is looking at us and critiquing every movement we make and critiquing our hearts and our thoughts. Uh, th this is the God of the universe who out of deep love sees us and invites us to follow. Uh, when Jesus says, what do you want? And they say, where are you staying? Je Jesus' response isn't critical at all. It's simply come and see. Come and see. This is the way of Jesus. It's invitational. It's always inviting us to something more. It's inviting us to think deeply about what we truly want. What's our deepest core longings and desires? It's inviting us to come and see. To come and see this Jesus. What he's about. What he's doing in the world. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, We have found the one Moses wrote about in the law, and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth? Can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. 
you got to read the Gospels with a sense of humor. This is an incredibly funny thing uh, Nathaniel says. that One disciple says, we've found the Messiah. He's Jesus from Nazareth. And Nathaniel, who uh, all of these guys would have known the Old Testament scriptures really well. They would have known all the prophecies that they believe are prophecies that point to the Messiah, to the one to come. And Nathaniel's running through in his own head uh, all these prophecies when Philip comes to him and says, hey, we, we found the Messiah, the one Moses spoke about. And he's thinking about it. Okay, here's the things Moses said about the one who, no. There's nothing about Nazareth in any of those texts. Nothing at all. And in fact, Nazareth is just simply this podunk town and nothing good comes out of Nazareth. Uh, and so Nathaniel just says it as it is. Nazareth? Can anything good come from Nazareth? Uh, what they may not be aware of is that Jesus was, as we looked at the last several weeks, that Jesus was born in Bethlehem as uh, an answer to Isaiah's prophecy and uh, fled to Egypt. And when Jesus and Joseph and Mary returned from Egypt, they ended up in Nazareth. And Nathaniel's wondering if anything good can come from Nazareth. And notice what Philip says to Nathaniel, the same thing Jesus said to the other disciples. Philip says, come and see. Come experience it for yourself. Here's, uh, here's something that speaks to me in this text. I, I don't think, I, as much as uh, maybe some modern apologetics is helpful and good, uh, in some circles and for some folks, uh, I don't think apologetics ever get someone to believe in Jesus. I, I don't think arguing about faith ever convinces anyone of anything. But experience does. And Philip says to Nathaniel, I'm not going to argue with you about this Jesus because I've already experienced it. And he's the one. I'm telling you, he's the one. And Nathaniel says, really? Come on. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Philip's like, I'm not even going to entertain that question. I'm not even going to argue with you. Just come and see. Come and see. Experience for yourself this Jesus, because I'm not going to convince you of anything. And so Nathaniel does. He Follows Philip, and when Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Once again, Jesus has this incredible capacity to see people and what's at their deepest level. Nathanael's human, just like every one of us. Nathanael had his own brokenness, his own issues, and yet what Jesus sees at the deepest level in Nathaniel is here, here's a true Israelite. Here, here's a true human in who there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathaniel said. And Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Jesus said, you believe because I saw you. You, said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things 
than that. He then added, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Now what Jesus is doing here is he's quoting from Genesis 28 where Jacob had a dream. And in this dream, there is a, a ladder to heaven. And uh, the text in Genesis 28 said he had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. Uh, Jesus changes it from ascending and descending on it to ascending and descending on the Son of Man. Uh, Jesus says to Nathaniel, who Nathaniel would have known this text very well from Genesis 28. Jesus says to Nathaniel, I'm the ladder. I'm the ladder. I'm the stairway between heaven and earth. I am bringing heaven to earth. Uh, you're going to see even greater things than this because I am bringing all the goodness, all the beauty, all the hope of heaven right down here into your midst right now, today. Jesus says you'll see even greater things than this. And then later he'll say, you'll do even greater things than I. Why? Because Jesus gives his spirit. And now each one of us possess this divine spirit of Jesus. And we all are invited to bring heaven to earth, right here, right now. Wherever we go, we are divine containers. We bring the gift of Jesus. We bring the gift of goodness. We bring the gift of heaven with us wherever we go. We're invited to bring heaven to earth. And I believe that in order for us to bring heaven to earth, in order for us to bring this goodness, to bring this hope, to bring the love and forgiveness and joy of Jesus wherever we go, we must first answer the question, what do you want? Because until we discover our deepest longings, our deepest desires, our deepest passions, we cannot bring the fullness of ourselves and who God created us to be to the world. And so this morning, I want to invite you into a practice. Uh, I'm going to invite you to close your eyes and uh, invite the band to make your way up whenever you want. And I simply want to invite you into a prayer. As we think about entering 2018, a new year, I want to invite you into a prayer to anchor yourself in God's presence. And to anchor yourself not just intellectually in your mind, but also in your heart. Recognize that we are holistic beings. Our, our heads were never meant to be separated from our hearts. We are body, soul, spirit. We are head and heart connected together. You can't separate them. We are thinking and feeling beings. Recognize that God created you holistically. And then I simply want you to hold the question as if Jesus is asking it to you right now. What 
what do you want? might be helpful for you to write it down uh, or later at home to journal and, and write it down. I, I would encourage you to uh, write down or, or just allow whatever thoughts come to your mind to, to hold them, each of them, as they come to your mind. So what do you want? If pizza comes to your mind, just hold pizza uh, in your head and heart for the moment. If it's ice cream, if it, wh whatever it is, just, uh, because there's something even deeper there, God gave you taste buds. God gave you the desire to experience good food and drink. That's a good desire. If, uh, if a dark or, or broken desire comes to you, hold it. Hold it. Be aware of it. It's okay. Uh, recognize that there's something beautiful at the root of that dark desire, that, that there's something good that God created in you that somehow has gone awry, that has been broken, and simply hold it and offer it to God and say, God, take this broken desire and realign it into goodness, into beauty. So once again, Tap into the deepest longing. What, what do you want? In Psalm 37, it says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Uh, when, when our desires are aligned with God's desires, they are one and the same. God created you for union with God and with others, with yourself, with the very creation we're entrusted with. Uh, what does it look like for you to tap into those core longings and desires to answer the question, what do you want? Which, with each breath you take, Imagine God's spirit moving through you. We are told in Deuteronomy to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Align those different aspects of your body together in oneness. As 2017 comes to a close and we enter into 2018, what do you want? And how is Jesus inviting you to come and see that which he has prepared for you? In a moment, we'll come once again and partake of the bread and the cup. We'll engage all our senses. We'll, we'll feel the bread will hear someone speak to us. The body of Christ given for you. The blood of Christ was shed for you. We'll taste the goodness of the Lord. 
as you come, I invite you to receive from someone who served you and receive once again from Jesus, who is constantly asking us, what do you want? And inviting us to come and see him. God, thank you. Thank you for these stories of some of your very first followers and the invitation to deeply contemplate the longings and desires you have placed in us and your invitation to come and see, to come and experience you. God, may we be a people who regularly are asking questions that don't have simple answers, but cause us to reflect and think deeply. I pray in this new year that you would lead and guide us as a community of people who long to bring more hope and healing into our world. It's in the name of Jesus we pray.